to the In The Lead show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and this is the final episode of 2021. It's actually also my 22nd episode, and I'm really excited to do kind of a little bit of a best of uh, the In The Lead show. I started this podcast back in July, and just going to wrap up my 22nd podcast. I've dropped an episode just about every week since July. And I have to tell you, I'm giving myself a big pat on the back right now because I had a year. There was a lot going on in my world. And just for me to be able to be consistent about it and fall in love with the process a little bit and really get into podcasting. It was something that I had wrestled with for many years and something I kind of debated about doing. But I'm really excited that I've been able to take the plunge and just go for it because, you know, if I let my stories and my fears hold me back, I'm never going to get to the places that I want to go. So I appreciate you for tuning in and for listening. Um, If you're a new listener to the show, welcome. Uh, I have a lot of great guests lined up for 2022. I'm actually really excited. I've been spending the last few weeks uh, doing some interviews and kind of recording some conversations that I'll be launching next year and just lining some stuff up. And I'm really, really, really excited just based on the conversations I've had already for what I can bring you guys in 2022. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, And, you know, in my last podcast episode, I talked about reflection. And I know that as the year is coming to a close, many of you are going to be doing a lot of reflecting and goal setting for 2022. One thing I want to make sure to communicate as well is that take in mind, we've been through a lot, all of us as a collective. The last two, three years have been draining for a lot of us. So cut yourself some slack, give yourself some grace as well. You don't have to have everything figured out on January 1st. If you don't have goals, you know, that's totally fine. You know, I was reflecting back to the beginning of 2021. Now I myself am not a big goal setter, not a big resolution person. They just flat out do not work for me. And in fact, I've noticed for myself, they just tend to reinforce kind of this narrative of you're not good enough or you have to achieve more and puts unneeded pressure on me. So I just, I really try not to have any goals per se, but I like to set intentions. And my intention for 2021 was um, to cultivate more peace internally. So it's almost like a North Star. It's like everything I do, I want to remind myself and realign myself back to whatever that word or intention is. So I think for 2022, my word is going to be courage, my intention. So I'm going to be courageous in a number of different ways. But that's going to be something for me that's going to be something that I'm going to have to realign myself to and commit myself to. So whenever I'm starting to think of doing new things, stepping out and doing something different, really tap into that courage and really do the work that is required that I know I need to do to be able to have that courage uh, to, to get me to achieve the things that I'm looking to do. So I, you know, as I was reflecting back on 2021 at the beginning of the year, Like I never could have imagined what I would have either accomplished or what I would have healed or endured over the year. Um, So for me, you know, goals aren't necessarily about creating 
maybe unrealistic expectations for myself. It's more about just helping to guide myself and stay on track and let whatever the universe has for me kind of unfold. So I'm really, really excited that you all are on this journey with me and I appreciate you. And I hope you're finding time during this holiday season to relax, rejuvenate, reconnect. Um, Things with COVID are still uh, all over the place and it feels like it changes daily. Um, But if we can cultivate that internal peace, we can cultivate that internal trust and compassion we can withstand a lot of the chaos that's going around us and still remain, you know, pretty well intact. Even if things around you are falling apart, you can remain in this grounded centered place and really be able to absorb and take on what what's in front of you and be able to then release it and really move forward with it. Um, so that's been my mindset. And I think it's a great mindset for any leader to have, especially leaders leading during this time of unprecedented uncertainty and unrest and um, divisiveness in many different aspects is be able to have, be that, be that really rooted, grounded force, stabilizing force for your teams, for your families, for your communities, so that people feel like there's a sense of, you know, calm and, you know, things are a little bit more certain when you're in their presence. And if you can develop those skills as a leader, I guarantee you, you are going to be the best leader of yourself, the best leader of your family, friends, communities, and your teams and organizations at work too. So I wanted to do a little bit of a best of today with the podcast. I wanted, I wasn't going to release the podcast until next year, but you know, it's December 30th and I thought I'm kind of missing doing this podcast thing. So I'm going to release an episode. I'm going to go through some of the old podcasts and just pick out a few um, and and reshare kind of what I kind of got out of those podcasts and kind of the, maybe the highlights from those. So I'll be sharing, I think about four or five episodes today with little snippets and having, you know, a conversation about it and, you know, reflecting on, you know, what was shared Some of them, you know, like the first episode, we're going to talk to Rebecca McNeil was the first episode I recorded back in July of 2021. So that was over, you know, six months ago. Um, So it'd be nice to hear kind of and re-listen to these podcasts and kind of reflect on and pull out some highlights that I can use and, and, and bring with me into 2022 as a great reminder for how I want to lead myself and how I can start applying my intention of being more courageous. So my first episode here is with Rebecca McNeil. And if you remember, if you listened to the first podcast, it was about cultivating trust, but not in the sense that I think you might be thinking or what traditional leadership books might talk about. It's more of that internal trust and developing kind of a trust of yourself and how trusting yourself can really apply to leadership and how that to me feels like a journey. It's not, you know, it's always actually kind of funny to me when people just say, you should just trust yourself or, you know, you should trust your instincts. And, you know, although people are obviously well-intended, that is very, very difficult for some people to do, especially people who have grown up in really not narcissistic or toxic households as children um, who may have been questioned or called weird for being who they are. So this can be a really difficult task for people, but I feel like, that internal trust is developed when you constantly go back to your internal feelings, thoughts, 
um, things that are coming, traumas and wounds, everything that's coming up for you and really starting to do a deep dive and really connect with those things and understand, you know, why maybe some of those things happened and how it impacted you as a child, as an adult, um, and just really start to get a deeper understanding of that. So here is Rebecca McNeil's conversation with me for episode one of the In The Lead Show. Enjoy. Your whole story just reminded me of my own kind of therapy journey and thinking about how I also suffered with a lot of, as I'm starting to show up more and more for myself, parts of parts of me were like, yeah, I don't believe you. Like, you haven't been here for 40 years. Like, why are you showing up now? Like, what are you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for, for us, right? Um, and what was interesting was it was very uncomfortable. Like, I feel like a lot of times, especially with inner work, a lot of people are afraid because it is very uncomfortable. Just like a lot of things in life, it is not easy. It's not comfortable. But the more you kind of come back to it and you sit with it longer, come back to it over that consistency that you build, it starts to build that trust. And it starts to become, like you said, it starts to flower and it starts to blossom. And it's not that same resistance and like skepticism that you can feel where it's like, okay, this is, this isn't going to work. Um, but it's that uncomfortable place that I feel like we try to avoid a lot. Um, yes, I, I see that a lot. And for me, it was just my therapy journey and really showing up for myself and sitting through really uncomfortable things and really showing up for myself was really kind of the key turning point, at least in my life, knowing that if I can show up for myself, like in that moment, I can show up for myself in almost any moment. Like even if somebody betrays trust or even if someone, you know, hurts you in some way, like you can always come back to knowing you can make it through that discomfort. Yeah. Um, so it, it's definitely a journey. And um, I love that. I just love your story about the reparenting because that totally resonates <laughs> with me. You know, that's totally yeah. my jam. <laughs> yeah, um, no, for sure. I I appreciate what you said though about the discomfort, you know, being uncomfortable. And um, you know, I think that it's important to kind of like stop and acknowledge that. Cause I think originally, like initially, when I hear somebody saying that, like, oh, you know, inner work is is hard, you gotta be up for the discomfort. Um that in this moment, it's not like provoking too much, but I know in the past hearing something like that would just provoke shame. So immediately even hearing that I would just be like, Oh God, like, I don't, I'm not willing to work hard enough for myself, you know, and like, and <laughs> just start saying these, um, yeah. silly things to myself about that. Um, and I think it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable with embracing discomfort, <laughs> like just because, yeah. um, you know, the way to, to doing the inner work is to go through some of that discomfort. It doesn't mean you just need to throw yourself into it and just get as uncomfortable as possible all the time. Um, I, I, maybe that works for some people, but in my cultivating of trust, inner trust, um, that would have been a trust breaker. You know what I mean? Cause if I was like, I'm going to show up for you. And then, and then they're like, I don't know. And then I'm like, okay, let's go do something really painful and horrible. And you're going to feel like shit. I mean, crap. <laughs> um, that's not, they're going to, the, that part that's protesting, like, I don't want to trust you is going to be like, what are you doing? Like, 
thought you said you were going to show up for me <laughs> and you're mm -hmm. making it even worse. So um, all of that to say that I think a lot of times too, we approach this work from like a mind space and obviously the mind is really important. Um, but, but part of like the, the, what I try to say, the resistance to the discomfort is because it's not just like mental discomfort. There's actually like body discomfort, like physiological discomfort. And it's even more uncomfortable because oftentimes we totally ignore it. Yeah. Um, and we're completely out of touch with it. And so it's, our bodies are constantly trying to communicate with us. And if we just, you know, we ignore it, it gets louder and louder. Um, so I think that, you know, as we're on this, on these journeys, um, and, and trying to build that trusting relationship, I think it's also important to think about how we can expand the way that we show up for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, and like expand how you personally can show up for yourself. Cause that's going to look different, in, you know, to different people, what is going to work best for them. Um, and it's not a, it's not a one size fits all approach. And it's also like, um, you know, there might be, as we're learning this, the person, whoever, if someone's mentoring you or you're reading a book or whatever, you might be handed like the shoe box that has some tools. And that's really only the beginning because, you know, you can show up for yourselves in those ways. But then I, I always like want to encourage people to be more creative and thinking about how they can show up for themselves. Um, cause that's really, it's sort of like, you know, you meet somebody new and you want to go out on like a cool date or something and you really like them a lot. So, um, yeah, you've done the dinner in a movie, maybe you've done some walking at the park and then you want to come up with like some really cool, like unique date idea to show them how special they are to you, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's sort of like going out of your way to find that special thing, uh, to show up for yourself you know? So, um, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to, trying to close the gap here of how I got from like discomfort to expansively showing up for yourself. <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess, I guess I feel like, like there definitely are moments of discomfort, but you can, we can ease our way into, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, a painful, a painful type of discomfort, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I always look at it as two ways to jump in the pool. You can either go running in, cannonball it in, which just happens to be my personal preference. Like <laughs> I'm not a, like take the steps one at a time, but yeah, I mean, I don't think there is like a defined, this is how you have to do it. And one thing I wanted to touch on about discomfort, cause I think that is so key is that you said, you mentioned like, it's okay to be uncomfortable with the discomfort. Like that is totally okay. It's not something's wrong with you or you just have to feel into it. And it's like this like kumbaya moment. It's beautiful. And it's, it can be really messy and hard and that's okay. I think it's, we build our muscle or we build our, we lessen the resistance, the more we go to it. So we feel a lot of resistance in the beginning, but the more you keep coming back, you'll notice that there's more space. That's yeah. great. And what came up for me, which has been a very powerful moment that I think about so much in my, of course, my therapy journey was sitting on the couch. I mean, how you said it's a physical thing. I remember we were, my therapist and I were talking about something that was just really traumatic for me and um, sitting there and feeling in my body, 
like the most dreaded panic attack you could ever feel. My body was just like on fire. My heart was beating. My, I, I just felt like I couldn't sit there any longer. And what was interesting for me in that moment was I noticed there was a narrative. There was a narrative going on separate from the conversation I was having with my therapist that was saying, you need to get the hell out of here right now. Like it was, mm -hmm. it felt life or death. It was like a real panic attack. But I, I noticed all of the sensations in my body. I noticed kind of the story that was being told. The mind was making up based on the physical response that I was having in that moment. And it took a lot of courage and a lot of discomfort for me to say, it's okay. I can sit here through this. We're okay. Like I had to really be very mindful and really force myself to stay, but it was that discomfort. It was feeling it in my body so strongly, but then also hearing the story yeah. that was going on in addition to that. So noticing all those different components and also staying with it. I think doing that over and over again has just helped, I've noticed for me, expand kind of that threshold that I have around that discomfort. And now it's not as strong. I mean, it still comes up even 15 years later, Rebecca, I swear. I say to my ther some therapist sometimes, I'm like, when will it get, like, when will this go away? And she's like, it may never go away and that's mm -hmm. okay. But it's just your body's reaction to something. And just knowing that and really, again, trusting that I can, I can be okay in discomfort. Like it's, it's really okay. Yeah. Um, but that was just such a, I always reflect on that moment because it was just so like etched in my mind of like, that is exactly what you go through on a daily basis. And can you stay with that discomfort? I absolutely love Rebecca's message about being okay. If you feel uncomfortable about embracing discomfort, I think that is a real reality and a real fact for probably most of us. I think along the journey, the more healing work that you do, the more you go back to kind of that inner space that we talk about a lot. I find that that comfort becomes, you know, more, more easy to get to becomes more comfortable, but that narrative, that story can still be there. And, you know, one thing my therapist likes to say to me a lot, which I love, and it's a great perspective I keep um, with me a lot is can both those things exist at the same time? Can you feel really uncomfortable about embracing discomfort and yet still be able to kind of dip your toe in the water and be able to push yourself outside of your edges a little bit. Those things can exist at the same time. And I think that's what holds a lot of people back. I know that's what holds me back at times is I want to make sure everything's perfect. I want to feel 100%. I want to make sure I'm confident before I do this. And the truth is, for most everybody on this planet, we are doing things while we are holding that discomfort. And we're saying, yes, that discomfort exists and I'm going to do it anyway. And here are some things maybe I can do to support myself, but these are the things that I'm going to do to, to help support me while I'm going through this journey. It's not about either or, or extreme thinking. It's about how do we kind of bring all of it together and hold all of it at the same time and still find a way to be able to either take a pause or take a step forward but really hold that compassion for yourself. I think a lot of trust and empathy and compassion all derive from that same place internally. Is The more that we can cultivate that, the more we can develop that compassion and that uh, 
empathy and, and being consistent about it, I think it naturally develops that trust. So I really loved uh, this conversation with Rebecca, and I hope that you did too. And the next conversation we have on the podcast is my conversation with Marie Logan around positive intelligence. And this is something that is really fascinating to me because uh, there's a growing body of work around this positive intelligence and how to kind of flip your mindset. And in this conversation with Marie, she walks us through an exercise in PQ and how, and some things that you can do to help when you're in those really stressful moments. And let's say maybe you're even having an anxiety attack, some things that you can do for yourself to help flip it and see a whole new perspective. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Marie Logan on positive intelligence. Well, what's so cool is, you know, we just talked about how all those bad chemicals that are unhelpful Mm -hmm. to us get released when we're having those negative thoughts. When we can flip it, this is basically rewiring our brain so that when we have those habitual thoughts, they're using neural pathways that are well-traveled, right? They're habits. And what we're doing through doing PQ reps is we're actually learning to flip it and cause new neural pathways to either form or start being used more frequently. And so the way I like to put it is like those new neural pathways are turning into super highways mm-hmm. and the old ones are getting decommissioned. And so what happens is it's your prefrontal cortex that you're engaging when you're flipping it to these more positive thoughts. And when you do that, you get different brain chemicals being released. It's beautiful. I mean, it's yeah. it's really awesome science and it's yeah. just so cool to watch it happening. So for example, you know, I got a call from my boss the other day with some really big news that I think in in the past, it probably would have derailed me. I would have been so upset and I, you know, I just, I I probably would have taken a few days to recover from this news. I knew though, having gone through the PQ program, I said, you know, I need to do some PQ reps. So I went, I, I sat down, I immediately did a bunch of, I, I did more than you really have to do, you know, to, to have a basic flip of your, your thinking, because this was a really big thing. This was a big weight that I was trying to lift. And it worked. It really worked. I ended up taking my dogs for a walk and feeling even joyful. I started being able to see, oh my goodness, this change. Like I see the opportunities and possibly even the gifts in this change. And it, yeah. I wasn't afraid anymore. And yeah. so that's the beauty of it. But uh-huh. you're just sitting in a meeting and someone, let's say someone who typically triggers you says something that you start to feel that feeling coming up, right? That's what happens. You know, you, I always ask my clients, where do you feel it? You know, and some people, they say, this is their gut. Some people say, it's in my throat, you know, and some people say, oh, it's in my shoulders, you know, and I get, I just get my jaw, whatever it is, right? And so think about where you get that feeling. All you have to do is notice it. That's the first thing, you notice it. And in positive intelligence, what you're also going to learn to do is notice which saboteur, that's the language that's, that is of positive intelligence. There are 10 saboteurs. And so you'll learn to recognize which saboteur, which kind of inner critic is the judge, um, or there's others like the avoider or the pleaser or the hyper 
vigilant or the hyper-rational. There are, there are 10 characters. And so you learn to recognize which one is talking to you and, and which, which thoughts you're, you're having. And then you, you stop it. So you can do it this quickly. Would you like me to lead you through one? Sure. Let's go for it. Okay. So here's, here's how it works. Um, let's just say we are in a meeting. All of a sudden we hear this thing and we're like, okay, you just need to take a couple seconds. Now we'll do this for a few seconds, but you can do it literally as, as little as 10 seconds and you can turn it around. Hmm. So just our, your, your listeners can do it along with us. Just rub your fingers together with such attention that you can feel the ridges on all the fingertips. And then touch all of your fingertips together, one hand touching the other hand, again with just enough pressure to feel the ridges and all the imperfections in the fingertips. While you're doing this, be sure that you're breathing. Pay attention to your breath. And then just run your fingertips down the palm of your other hand very gently and notice all of the sensations. Now that would be enough, but you can also stop for a second and listen to the sound that you can hear that's the furthest away. And then listen to the sound that is the closest. It might even be your breath. That's it. That's it. Wow. I don't know about anybody listening, but for me, I mean, I'm instantly relaxed. I feel very, um, and it's funny that you said towards the end, you're like, it could be your breath. I was thinking, well, I can hear my breath pretty loud. And I was like, oh, that's pretty loud in my ear. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something so simple, but I think that for me, I've noticed it's about, I like that you mentioned noticing because it, for me, I was thinking, well, these things would be great, but how do I, maybe I don't know when I'm getting stressed. Maybe I'm not fully aware of like what the actual triggers are. And I can only share from my own kind of therapy experience, which started way before this, which is about just start noticing as often as you can. And you'll start to notice patterns or themes or things that come up around the same things. And you'll start to notice things more quickly. The more you start really kind of just opening up all of your senses to everything that's going on in a given moment. And these types of exercises can help you do that. But, and it's also important, I think, to really notice just what's that trigger? Because as we get into the saboteurs, and I really want to get into those, because those are really fascinating to me is it can be tricky. It can be really, really tricky. There's some obvious ones, right? Like I'm in a traffic jam. A lot of people get really stressed with that or airplanes, right? A lot of people get very anxious and nervous on airplanes. Things like that are really obvious, but it's fascinating because when I was going through this program, the biggest epiphany for me was the very small ways that those saboteurs and those things sneak in and start to kind of change that mindset. Which I love the practices I've gotten from positive intelligence. You know, like we just went through a quick exercise with Marie 
it, it's really simple and it's things that you can do anywhere at any time, even if you're around a bunch of people or if you're in a really busy setting, you can do some of the fingertip exercises just to get really present with yourself and really feel and get back into your body and kind of get out of that triggered kind of state where you're feeling like you want to react and you're acting very maybe irrational or reactive and get really back into your body. Um, so I think there's a lot of great tips that Marie offers in that episode. And I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, I think it was episode 17, if I'm not mistaken, but go back and listen to that episode because there's a lot of really great tidbits that she shares with a uh, positive intelligence. And I think you'll get a lot of benefit, especially anyone who's people manager or in a leadership position, develop new ways to overcome maybe some of your fears and be able to really step into difficult conversations or be able to really lead with courage through uncertainty. Um, because during these times, as things continue to remain just uncertain and a lot of chaos going um, on and um, people don't really know what's happening next, they're really looking to you to be that stabilizing force for them. So even people in leadership positions need you know, ways to cope and handle the stress. So definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. And the next episode is a clip from my conversation with Susan Aiken, who is my therapist. And we talk about the internal family system, which is a model um, of therapy and also a model um, of coaching as well to help you understand the multi-dimensional parts of you. So we always, one big part that we often talk about in everyday language is the ego. But if you take the ego, you can really break that down into multiple parts and multiple sections. And um, they all have a reason. They all have a purpose. So the IFS model is really um, a way for you to be able to do some of those deeper dives and understand yourself on a more deep level that you can understand where maybe some of your trauma and wounding is coming from and developing that noticing practice and some observational practices as well. I love from the model that I use in actually a lot of my coaching and just a lot of my own development work is reflecting and becoming that observer to be able to really witness and acknowledge everything that's happened to you and all the things that might be driving or referencing things that have happened to you in your past. And you may not even be aware of it. So it's very, it feels very healing to me. And I think there's a lot of um, useful practices that people in leadership positions can take out of that model and understanding and having the courage to really go a little bit deeper and really going down that healing journey. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Susan Aiken. How can we change things? So what comes to my mind is, right, at, at the human level, there's some really basic things that people need in order to feel okay. They need to feel like they have, they belong. Mm -hmm. You know, now we're talking about, you know, um, we go back to Freud and, and his era uh, back into the very first ideas about psychology. And the one that makes the most sense to me is from Alfred Adler, who doesn't even really, he still has a sum of a following, but he died young. And his belief was not that we're motivated by the Oedipus complex or the this or the that, but that we're really, all human beings are driven by the need to feel a sense of belonging yeah. and that they're significant. 
and that they have a place and that all behavior is striving to meet those goals. So when you translate that back into um, the workplace, and you're you're aware that you have a you know a group of people that you're in, you're working with or in management, even if you're just working with them. There's a, those simple things that give people the cues that they're seen, yeah. that heard them, that yeah. you like them, you know that you're they're welcoming of them, and it's quite the opposite of being vigilant about who's around you. It's like oh hi, <laughs> right. And, that there is um, that right there. Just that is a way to change um, the atmosphere. Yeah, I agree. And and that's the message I try to get across to people. Even now in my role in my capacity is saying every person that I come in contact today, I want them to lead better than when they came into my presence. So whatever that is, to help them feel calmer, to help them feel less stressed, to help them maybe work through a problem, but that is my intention and my goal. And I hope that that kind of, I believe in the ripple effect. So can we make change and support one another at that level? But I want to go back to belonging real quick first, because I feel like that is extremely key. Cause I know that was a big epiphany for me at one point, feeling like that's one of my big threads in just my own journey is that deep sense of belonging. And what I've found is that through our work with the parts is that as I've gotten to know my own parts and I've developed that cultivated that belonging internally, i I feel like it, it's almost extended out. Like I'm not seeking to fit in. I'm seeking to belong with me and fully with my parts. By doing that, I am also belonging as a collective. Does that make sense? It feels like there's this self part that kind of. Totally makes sense. It's like a very, um, well, you know, the, in, the, in the Buddhist tradition and some of the other Eastern, they talk about being one. We are one and, and Native American we are one, we're all connected. So I think when you when you land in that place where you know you belong with you, you know, you have that sense of connection to yourself and you belong with you, I belong right here, you belong, you know, that you, you can feel that about everybody. And when you're not in that place, you don't, you feel alone and isolated, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, I've come, I'm doing a working, work away from home, um, experience I've told you about. And um, so I'm, I'm traveling by myself. I'm here for three weeks altogether. I'll, I'll have company eventually. But um, when I first got here, I was so in such a, that place of, you know, just, just, and I remember standing out on the balcony here, I'm in Hawaii. So it's um, <laughs> not a bad place to be isolated and kind of <laughs> I felt this connection. I could feel it. I, I looked around. I saw every, I could feel, you know, see the people and feel the people in the condo complex. And I felt connected to every one of them, even though I don't know them. And I thought, oh, interesting. I'm so comfortable, you know, and feel so connected and like I belong, even though I'm not here with anybody. It's weird. Yeah. No, I love it. That's so beautiful because I think a lot of people think of belonging as like fitting in. And I need to change who I am to align with this group of people so that they accept me, right? They like me. But if you were just being who you are, like if that self is coming forward, it feels like people by default are just going to like you. I just love every conversation with Susan. It 
it's just always so insightful and she always has so much perspective to add that I always leave our conversations just really thinking and she's definitely one of those forces for me and that nudges me a little bit. I know I talk about this a lot on Twitter, but I talk about find people who nudge you, find people who in a way that's, you know, loving and supported and kind can nudge you a little bit so that you're off center because the whole goal is to figure out how to get back to center. It's not about, can I protect myself so much that nothing ever touches me, that nothing ever pushes me off of whatever my perceived center is. But when you are pushed off of that, how do you get, how do you get back? How do you react to that little nudge? What comes up for you? What's triggered? Um, And I love this conversation with her because she talks about something that I think is extremely important, especially in organizations. But I think it's just as a basic human need is that need to belong. And again, it's more than just do I fit in here? Um, But am I accepted? Like, am I really, really accepted for who I am? All parts of me. The good, the bad, the ugly, the emotional, the sensitive, the courageous, the everything. Am I fully accepted? And can I be who I am 100%? And I think we're all kind of looking for those cues in everyday life. And I think it's even more desperate at work for some people to really find that because we tie a lot of our self-worth to our career. And if we don't belong there, imagine what that must be doing to your internal system of trust and empathy and confidence and worth, all of those things. If you don't feel like you belong, then and if you're not, and if you're also not extending that belonging and that sense of belonging out to others, imagine what that's doing to individuals and as a collective and why I feel like healing trauma in organizations is what is desperately, desperately needed because In organizations, and I know just from my own experience working at a very large high-tech company and a very large organization, is that we talk about vulnerability. We talk about, we bring in the Brene Browns of the world and, you know, they tell us, you know, she gives us a lot of wisdom about how to handle conflict, how to really lean into fear and how to really um, acknowledge our vulnerabilities. But I don't feel like it's, we don't put it into practice. We don't have ways to effectively do that. So we have these, you know, very surface level conversations. We see these great speakers. And then we go back to the systematic ways that we are either um, oppressing people or suppressing their voices or their truth, or how we are, our biases are driving decisions that we are making that are maybe inadvertently signposting to people, you don't belong here. You know, are we giving promotions and equity increases to the same types of people? Are we allowing negative narcissistic behaviors in our teams? Are we calling people out? Are we having setting really clear boundaries and having really difficult conversations? Just from everything I'm hearing in many corporate settings and big high-tech companies all over the world is no, we are not having those real conversations. So when we're not having those real conversations, we are not able to tell people you belong here. Because when you say you belong here, again, that means your whole self. And again, I know corporations love to talk about bring your whole self to work and, you know, we want you to be here or, you know, and let's really play up your strengths and let's celebrate you. And that is all great. But there's also a really big piece of people 
that we have to leave behind because we can't have those difficult conversations. And when there are people who may be truth tellers and do start talking about these things, it's often silenced or you're often perceived as trouble or, you know, ruffling feathers or, you know, making waves. And it, so I feel like what needs to happen is we need to start developing first and foremost, our own sense of compassion, trust, belonging, acceptance of ourselves first, do the healing work, understand what triggers you, understand what your triggers might be referencing from your past. I know that in Susan's episode, Susan Aiken, my therapist that I record with on IFS, she talks about we are constantly being triggered and it's a matter of understanding, is it triggering something that referenced something when I was a small child, maybe two or three? Or is it referencing something that happened last week? But we're constantly going back and touching on all of those really tender, wounded parts of us. If we don't know that they're there and we don't understand them, we can't see it. So we can't be that observer. We can't be that more objective, more present self that we all want to be. Because when we go into difficult conversations, it turns into he said, she said, this person is wrong. I'm right. It's never really fruitful or productive because we can't really take that step back. And how you take that step back is first by doing the work, by really getting to know yourself, understanding what those triggers are and start cultivating that belonging even within yourself. I would bet, I would bet money just because I know this is true for me and I've known it's been true for others as well, is that there are probably parts of yourself that don't, you don't really fully accept, whether it's. I don't know, um, your anger or your jealousy, that part of you that can get really jealous or that part of you that can get really overprotective, or maybe it's a bigger part of you. Maybe it's like your sexuality, or maybe it's your, you know, personal preferences. I mean, whatever it is, I know there are parts of us that we all kind of go, Oh, I wish we could change that. I wish I didn't have that piece. When we have that way of thinking, we're inadvertently telling ourselves, we don't even belong with, with me. I don't even belong with me here. I don't accept all these parts of me. I don't understand and I don't want them here. So if we can't do that for ourselves, we can't hold that space and really accept and um, create that sense of belonging internally. There is absolutely no way we are going to be able to extend that out to others in a real and authentic way that is, uh, you know, transparent that isn't just, you know, platitudes or like corporate statements or, hey, let's have one conversation and just get this over with. It's a check the box. Like really, really, really be able to connect with others and have and give them that sense of belonging all starts with you first. So I challenge you, anybody who's listening to the episode, really, really Make that something that you embark on. Make that a journey that you take because it is a journey. It's not something that just happens overnight, but find ways to develop a deeper understanding of yourself and identify, are there parts of me that I don't really like? Do I not like that really critical part or that judgmental part of me or that part of me when I get triggered, I have an outburst and maybe lash out at people? Start really taking a compassionate look at those things and start really connecting with them and understanding where they come from. What's what's that story? Where where did that originate from? What is it referencing? Is it referencing maybe when I was a child and I was treated that way and it was really, really painful? 
and find ways to develop that healing. And really, for me, it's been about trying to visualize whatever, once I get to that, that root of whatever's behind all of that, really try and visualize yourself taking a step back and just observing it. Almost recreate the scene in your mind and have you be an observer, almost in the corner of something, in the room or something, and just watching it like a movie and really just trying to understand what's going on and ask yourself, you know, what was that other person feeling? What, why might they have said what they said? Was there something else that might be influencing how they're feeling? But you really can't develop that, that belonging for others until you can really develop it yourself. So I challenge you to do that in 2022. If you're looking for, you know, something to focus on or something to kind of take a look at as a leader, I think developing that belonging piece internally is absolutely critical and key, especially as we continue to navigate through this uncertainty. And this next episode, I talk about how to tackle conflict. And this was a solo show, so I didn't bring any guests on. But I talk about ways that you can look at conflict and how you can detach yourself from ideas, thoughts, beliefs, and how that attachment might be driving a wedge between teammates, friends, partners, whatever, how our really deep attachment and identification to things might be really driving and fueling that conflict. Is there a way to even take a step back and gain new perspective through observation and through uh, reflection practices? Um, So in this episode, I talk a lot about how to kind of look at conflict a little bit differently and some things you might be able to do. So I hope you enjoy. Hear what the other person is saying. I feel like at the root of it and a lot of conflict, that's what it is. It's that attachment piece. It's that I'm really attached and identified to this belief or this thought that it is impossible for me to be able to detach myself and take that step back to become an observer. Now, I know I've talked about this in previous podcasts about how important it is to become that observer of your own experience about getting to that place where you can be in more of that higher self where you are not driven by the parts. You are not driven by your saboteurs. You are not driven by your habitual patterns of thinking, but you're able to really kind of take a step back and really become less attached to whatever that idea or thought is and really be able to hear people, really be able to lean into that conversation in a way that isn't confrontational. So I feel like that is a really big journey to embark on is really start to really detach yourself from these really strong beliefs and ideas. And I believe that that's where a lot of conflict comes from is our really deep attachment to a thought, belief, idea, whatever we identify ourselves as, we become, and and usually a lot of times, speaking from my own experience, that where you come from is a place of, of wounding or trauma or something that's very tender. So for me as a coach, when I'm working with a client and they're talking about conflict and they're talking about being really attached to something, For instance, maybe you're a manager in an organization and your employees are saying, I refuse to take the vaccine. And let's say that you, the manager, has a really strong opinion like, no, I believe we should all be taking the vaccine for COVID to help each other. You know, I know people who have died from this disease. I take it very seriously. Um, And the other person might be digging their heels in and say, no, you know, I really, it doesn't, 
you know, whatever the reason is, right? There's a lot of different reasons, but that in a, that in and itself is something that I'm hearing a lot lately where there's this conflict. And for me as a coach, I would be looking at that as a trailhead. And one of the things my therapist talks to me a lot about is if I come in and presenting a problem that I'm again feeling really attached to, I'm like, this is really bothering me and it's really upsetting me. A lot of the first questions she'll ask me is that sounds, or one of the first things she'll say is that sounds like a trailhead. Like, where do you think that's coming from or what's kind of behind that? Because what that conflict or that really strong attachment means to me is that I'm putting up a wall and that's to protect something that's more vulnerable behind it. And usually a lot of times that vulnerability has a story, it has a voice, and it's really just trying to get your attention. But if we aren't aware of that and we don't understand ourselves, we can't see it again from that observer standpoint. We are basically that wound. We're basically that trauma. And when we are acting and out in the world, living in our wounds and our trauma, we are projecting that out to people. And, you know, in some cases, possibly rightfully so, like it's a very deep, real feeling for you. Um, But I don't know how well that helps to resolve conflict or I don't know how well that brings people together. So is there a way for us as leaders to be able to look at our own wounding, to look at our own trauma, identify that, feel it, really understand it, and develop this space where you can become an observer of your own experience so that you can have more productive conversations so you're not so attached to these thoughts or ideas and it opens your perspective up to new possibilities. Woo-wee, is that not an episode? How to tackle conflict. Well, you know, all I can say is there isn't a shortage of opportunities to practice. I feel like, I don't know, as a collective, our mental health is just at this breaking point where I feel like people are really on edge, people are really triggered, People are just done and people have very strong beliefs and they hold those opinions and beliefs very close to the chest and they take it almost as a personal attack if you disagree with somebody. So I think how do we have it, you know, how do we navigate and how do we handle conflict is going to be really important um, in the years to come because as things just get more heated and things start coming to the surface and hard, difficult truths are really discussed and talked about and really acknowledged. It's going to activate fear, resentment, anger, jealousy, all these different feelings and emotions in each one of us. And how can we turn towards that? I think is really important. And how can we remain, again, more of that objective observer that can see a situation and have a conversation and maybe have conflict with somebody and leave that person and yourself whole, resourceful, and capable. Because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. Um, Because what you'll find is if you have had any kind of arguments or conflict of any kind, it's really does no use. I mean, one of my favorite authors, her name is Pema Chodron. In one of her books, she talks about how having arguments and conflict are almost like taking your sign that you would hold up at, you know, a rally, let's say you're at some kind of political rally. And it's almost as if you're taking that sign and beating somebody over the head with it and them then not understanding why, why aren't they seeing what 
I believe in or what matters to me? Well, because we're too busy beating each other over the head with the signs, we aren't really able to take again that, uh, that step back and find common ground and really develop compassion and understanding to be able to resolve conflict and to be able to really have productive conflict. It's not necessarily about you giving up your beliefs, but it's about, can you remain less attached to your beliefs so that you can then see maybe somebody else's perspective on either your beliefs or maybe their own beliefs. Um, so I think it's really about that attachment piece. If we can work on that, especially in organizations, especially anyone in a leadership position, can you remain more neutral? Can you remain more grounded and balanced? And again, be that stabilizing force for people. I think that would be a huge, huge step in the in a more productive direction if we're able to hold that space. Now for this last episode, I wanted to reflect on and kind of highlight for this last episode was actually episode number 20. So this was about gratitude and developing a gratitude practice. Now I mentioned in this uh, segment that I'm actually not a huge gratitude like journaler or um, I actually look at gratitude a little bit differently. The, The word kind of sometimes feels a little fake to me. It doesn't feel authentic. So for me, what feels more authentic is um, appreciation. How can I appreciate? Even if things have been difficult or things have happened that were really traumatizing or upsetting to me, how can I look at this in a new perspective? How can I understand maybe what that pain or that grief is trying to tell me? What did I learn What are some of the tools? And then through that, you can develop this natural appreciation for all the things that you've been through. I mean, that's one of the key kind of principles of the internal family systems model, which I love, especially in a therapeutic setting where it's not about blaming and it's not about being a victim or feeling like, why did this happen to me? But it's more of really getting a different perspective on the things that have happened and understanding that at that moment in time, maybe the tool that you have really, really worked for you. Maybe that anger that you have that you really don't like about yourself and you're trying to change at one time, maybe that anger actually really helped you in the situation. Maybe your family unit, that was your role to play in the family. And for your survival, you actually had to use that anger in a resourceful way. As we get older though, and we're in different situations, we're not in that same maybe family unit, those same tools might not apply. But can we develop learning? And can we develop really deep level appreciation for what that did for you and how that protected you and kept you alive? Um, I love that tenant of IFS. And I try to bring that into a lot of things that I do where it's not about blaming or victimizing or self-loathing, but it's about, okay, this happened. And what did it do for me when I was that five-year-old girl? What did it do for me in that maybe family situation that actually helped me? And you can see that instead of saying, oh, well, there's this part of me that I don't like. It's like, wow, that part of me actually served a really great purpose at one point. It kept me safe and that did its job. And that was amazing. And I can learn some things from maybe what works and what doesn't applying that tool in my current situation, but there's always gifts from that. There's always learning. There's always new perspectives. So 
having the the courage to really go back and kind of really relive those things and really understand and develop appreciation for what happened and what can I pull from that experience into current day and make better choices about what aligns with what's good for me or what my values are. So I think the IFS model in general helps with that appreciation or gratitude practice, but whatever your practice is, I encourage you to do some reflecting and figure out what works for you. Maybe gratitude journaling really works for you. Um, Maybe it's doing more reflective things on a daily basis. Maybe it's listening to books, whatever it is, whatever you can do to take time, just take out 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour every day to really cultivate that and really develop that sense of belonging internally and developing that deep level of appreciation. So I hope you enjoy episode number 20 um, of how to develop gratitude. Enjoy. Journaler and you like to write things down. One tip I would love to give you is that if you do like writing things down, instead of writing down things that you might be thankful for that feel kind of surface level where it's like, I'm, you know, things like I'm grateful for my health or I'm grateful for my job. If you could start thinking about some of the really big things that have happened in your life, maybe traumas, maybe things that you've been through that have caused you some pain. And if you can find a way to figure out how that trauma or that thing that happened to you impacted you, how has it made you a different person? How has it shaped you um, towards the person becoming the person that you are today? And one great example of that might be like, let's say you suffered a job loss and let's say it was really, really traumatizing to you because maybe you were in that career for a really, really long time. You had a lot of your self-identity and self-worth attached to that job. So when you lost that job, let's say maybe you felt a great sense of loss, like your purpose and your identity was broken in some way. If you can look at that experience and then look at what you learned from it, let's say maybe three months later, you found a new job and it was even better than the job before. And what you learned through that was how to actually take a pause and reflect and connect with maybe some of those tender feelings that are natural that we all have whenever we go through loss is how do we grieve that? How do we, how do we identify with that grief and how do we really internalize it and really move with that grief? Because really, at the end of the day, life is all about living and understanding and coexisting with all of these things that we go through. It's not about brushing them aside. It's not about forgiving and forgetting. It's not about overcoming or conquering. It's about really getting in touch with what is happening for you, what it means to you, and how it is actually shaping your life. So I think it's really important when you're developing any kind of a gratitude or appreciation or having any kind of a practice around that is really getting nuanced about what it is that you've experienced and how you've come through it and what benefits, what tools maybe you picked up through that process. Maybe, you know, one thing I like to say all the time is rejection is actually redirection. So life might be taking you in a completely different direction. And by pivoting that, that door might be closing, but another one might be opening and it might be an even better door. And for me, what I found is anytime I've gone through, especially very major events in my life where it just rocked me, um, I know that that is setting me up to almost level up and gain new experience, gain new growth opportunities because, you know, our lives are not stagnant. Even if we believe and think that 
you know, we are in a particular job or in a particular situation and nothing has changed and you feel comfortable with that, you're not really growing. So life is constantly presenting you with opportunities to grow. It's just a matter of how do we relate to it? How do we see it? Do we see it as, hey, this is my identity and this is who I am. And when I lose it, then I lose everything. The real goal for me has been to kind of try and put some space there, to really get less attached to a particular idea, a particular job title, a particular, you know, benchmark in my own mind about what success or what growth looks like, and just try to stay really open. And when you can do that, you tend to kind of move with the current. You're not really resisting it. You're not fighting it. You're not so that when job losses happen, deaths happen. Um, crisis happens in our lives all the time. We're not as impacted and affected by those things if we can be less attached and create that space. So for me, a gratitude or appreciation practice is something that I do pretty frequently. It's not reserved for once a year around Thanksgiving or the holidays or the new year. Developing a gratitude practice and how that can make you a better leader. I'm so happy I decided to end on that note because I Myself, sitting here on Thursday, December 30th, the year 2021, only really another day or so left of this year until we turn the page to a new year. And, you know, a one message I want to get out to folks is just make sure to take care of yourself and give yourself some grace. Um, developing gratitude and appreciation practices is, I think, a great uh, start to that building of grace internally and around around us in communities, families, organizations is just cut yourself a break. I know there's a lot of us who tend to beat ourselves up a lot and are really hard on ourselves and really kind of resist um, just kind of relaxing and just being okay. Come January 1st, you don't have it all figured out. It's totally fine. It's just another day. And, you know, you have many more days to come to be able to figure it out and make decisions. And I think one of the things that having a gratitude or appreciation practice helps you do is take that pause, start noticing and start making decisions that are in alignment to who you really want to be and who you are as a whole person and allowing yourself that grace and that space to really understand and have better command and control over how you're showing up, how you're making decisions as a leader, how you are making decisions as a leader of your family, how you are making decisions in relationships. Um, the more space we can create there and the more grace we can give ourselves, we can start making those aligned value driven decisions. And I think the world would just be a better place, but you know, the world's a better place just because you're in it. So you don't, Let's all promise to start trying to put down kind of those trips that we lay on ourselves or those, you know, really harsh stories that we tell ourselves and just really be okay being who we are in this moment, in the year 2021, and just really appreciating everything that that has to offer. And I really appreciate each one of you, every listener of the show and everyone who will listen to this show in the future. I appreciate you taking the time and just being willing to go on this adventure with me and being present with me. Um, again, this is the 22nd episode. I 
when I started this, I had no idea to even do five. So um, I'm just really blessed and excited to continue the journey and see what what's to come in the next day, month, year, decade, however long I'm on this journey. I just, I really look forward to sharing that with you. And I hope that you have a great holiday season and a blessed, courageous, and inspirational 2020. Until next time on the In The Lead Show, my name is Jennifer Sang, and you can catch all episodes and all podcast episodes on my website, intheleadshow.com. We're also on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find that there. But if you go through the website, you can find your way there and access to everything. And I'm going to be putting out more information and doing some cool programs over the next year. So definitely keep your eyes open. Also, if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, I'm going to be starting up a newsletter here in 2022. Go over to my coaching website, which is coachwithinsight.com. And there you'll see a pop-up where you can add yourself to my mailing list and get updates on the In The Lead show, mindfulness tips and tricks, and all things leadership. So I'm really excited and looking forward to what the future holds. And I appreciate you. And I hope that you have a great rest of your year.